welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores. Hi and welcome to the Wildlife Tribe podcast. One size does not fit all and today it's just me and Kat. Um, Liberty has um, a little bit of a poorly tummy so she's taken this one off and so we wish her well and hope she gets better. Um, So I'm going to go straight into today's guest um, who is a really special guest actually and we did try to record this about six months ago and I fluffed it up completely um but today's guest is Dr Alka Patel welcome Alka thank you great to be here again <laughs> <laughs> I know sorry I'm gonna ask you to introduce what it is that you do actually I think that probably is a better way of doing it oh wow okay thank you for that I always find um titles really challenging actually when people introduce themselves by what they do I often don't actually understand what the job title (laughs) means so I tried to actually ditch all of my job titles I have to say um, about a year ago but then I kind of recognize that people need a bit of resonance with what you do so I am a GP um, I am a a medical doctor um, but I think beyond that I'm actually a lifestyle medicine physician so I focus a lot on lifestyle the lifestyle coach so uh, I think hopefully we'll get to the kind of meaning of what lifestyle means for for people um, as well as we get chatting. So I remember actually from our last conversation I found you so fascinating because I think um, I think going back to your own journey um, and how you got to this kind of lifestyle medicine was really interesting. Can you share some of that with us? Yeah for sure would love to. Um, I guess it's a little bit about actually reflecting on where we're at now I think life at the moment is starting to feel really fragile for so many people isn't it I kind of recognize that fragility um and I think this was a place I felt that I was at you know over a year coming up to sort of two years ago because one of the big questions I really started to ask myself was that big question we all sort of probably ask ourselves but really about what is really important in life and it wasn't the sort of philosophical question about what what's life all about but it was more about what matters to me and like I said I've been a GP for 20 years and being a GP really 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 mattered to me but what I recognized I think was that I wasn't allowing myself to be the doctor I wanted to be what I was seeing was that sort of revolving door of healthcare patients constantly coming back that real dependence on the doctor as the fix but no one really taking charge of their own health and I was desperately wanted that to be to be different because I think you know certainly that that fix for pills that fix for sort of being told what to do is quite strong in in healthcare and I recognized that that wasn't making a, a difference with the same people coming back time and time again um, and so I kind of um, really took a bit of a brave step and really wanted to just tune in with what mattered to me what was that doctor in me really really wanting to do and so I um, I decided to leave my partnership just like that <laughs> a big bold decision took a big amount of courage uh, a lot of humility um but i just did it and i didn't have a plan b 
And what I decided to do, I know, perhaps sort of foolish in, uh, in hindsight, but uh, what I decided to do was to actually step on a plane uh, on my own, which I hadn't done before. Travelled with family, you know, love family yeah. holidays, always, always, always had people around me. Um, but I got on a plane alone and I went off to India, to Kerala, where I didn't speak the language. And I decided to uh, do some work out there, some voluntary work in palliative care. And that for me was a really sort of grounding experience. I think what happened was that bubble that we all live in. Um, yeah. I know we're talking about bubbles in a different context um, right now, but <laughs> you know, we all do live in our, in our own bubbles and in our own zones. I really needed that to be burst so that I could see with different eyes. Um, and that did happen because what I saw was kindness and I saw compassion and I saw people looking after people I saw people looking after themselves and also this whole notion of self-care and caring communities so by the time I came back to the UK I really really knew what I needed to be different and I knew I needed to start wrapping health around self-care and that's when I discovered lifestyle medicine because it takes us back all the way to the roots of health which I truly believe firmly lie um, within us um, and then I got all creative and I've developed this sort of lifestyle first methods and my ethos my values are all around lifestyle first not pills first not doctors first but you you know you the person what can what's in your gift in your day today that you can really utilize to change your health because I absolutely believe health is a skill you know we talk of it don't we as a what is health and it's it's a noun in the dictionary health is a noun but i think it needs to be a doing word i think we have to do health you know treat it as a lifelong skill that we can really really develop and cultivate and just get better and better at um so yeah that's how i found myself uh being a lifestyle medicine doctor and a, a lifestyle coach coaching for me is a conversation style um, isn't it it's very much less about telling people what to do but yeah. it's much more about sharing that journey and enabling those seeds that are already within us to really develop um, into fruit so um i love it yeah i mean it's amazing and i i really love that story because i think it was like a need to get grounded as well wasn't it a need to kind of like you weren't kind of finding what it was here so you had to go off and to a different land almost to get that kind of focus and perspective. Mm. Um, what I also like about you is that, you know, you, um, because it really opened up your eyes into everything and then you came back here and then you're, it, it's not that you, you just pivoted everything on its head, didn't you? <laughs> yes. You literally went, right, I'm going to turn this upside down. And this is the way I'm going to do it now. Can you talk to us a bit about the root causes? Why do we need to go back to the root causes? Because typically, like you say, when people go to see a GP and people, it is usually the same people that make the appointment. So it could be emotional, couldn't it? That people are maybe not going in for those, you know, those underlyings, what they, you know, whatever it is they're going in for. They are going in because they want somebody to keep kind of giving them something to fix themselves and it's is that kind of placebo sometimes or is it what do you think I think doctors have a huge therapeutic role I think GPs do a, a fantastic job so you know certainly I think um, within the boundaries of the way that healthcare is set up in this country uh, that notion that we've got at the moment of that 10 minute consultation provides value but it also I think creates um a sense of something that is truly truly missing because what we need to be able to do in those consultations is hand back 
health to people because that's where it firmly belongs and I think the root cause very much if you look at sort of uh, what we call non-communicable diseases so all you know the things that we talk about as lifestyle illnesses we've got diabetes um, weight issues sleep issues um, even as far as sort of depression anxiety all those emotional things that you're that you're talking about as well they're very much rooted in how we live our lives. Um, sometimes the word lifestyle gets a little bit of a, um, a bad attachment because it, there's an implication that the choices that we make and the consequences of those choices are our fault. But actually, I always like to turn things 360, as you said. I do, you know, do the head over heels um, quite a lot. But actually, our choices are our choices, whatever your circumstances. Remember, I was out in India amongst poverty. And even amongst poverty, people were able to make choices about how their day went, how they looked after themselves. Um, and so I do, I truly believe our choices are our own. And the, the root stuff is very much about our rhythms, how we sleep, how we eat, how we connect. Um, all of that makes such a big difference. And the evidence base around how that interacts with health and interplays is huge it's humongous i mean if you take one of my favorite topics for example is around sleep and it's uh and i think you know there is another epidemic going on in the world and it is the, the sleep deprivation mm. epidemic and if we're really honest with ourselves and have honest conversations a lot of that is self-inflicted we choose to send that email at 11 p.m at night we choose to watch that one more episode of netflix because we can't <laughs> possibly get to bed without it's so dangerous netflix isn't it <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but actually, sleep has got such a huge reverberance in everything. It really sets your emotional tone for the next day. For example, all of that emotional processing occurs in those eight hours. Our productivity, our creativity, our immunity, our inflammation, all of that is actually taking place. Our responses to that are occur whilst we sleep. And yet here we are, a nation that actually denies ourselves the one thing that can make such a big difference to, to our health. And those are sort of root, the root things that I really love talking to my patients about. So, you know, I can very easily say, hey, you know, make sure you don't go on your phone after 8 p.m. All that blue light will keep you awake at night, expecting someone to just trot out of my consulting room and do that, but people don't. And no. it comes back, doesn't it, to motivation and mindset. And why is it so important for you, not for me, but for you, what is it about you that makes sleeping important? Because I, what I found with all my patients all these years is that there's a GP is that I knew so much about them. I knew which schools their children went to, I knew where they worked, or I even knew the color of their socks because I was examining them on the couch. But what I didn't know was what mattered to them. Those simple words um, are the ones that I now use all the time in my consultations because if i know what your why is and what's going to be that driver for you then i can talk to that driver and actually you go from knowing what to do to actually doing it yeah and it's so true and actually i picked up on something you said at, right at the beginning of that which was when you were in india and you were amongst you know people in poverty but they seem to be able to um you know really be very good with self-care um, and then that for me, I was thinking then that, you know, like, because actually we, you know, the way we think about how we value things here is so different, isn't it? And that's part of the mindset issue. So I think in terms of money, money comes into it for people, doesn't it? Where are we, where are we going to put value on things? You know, like, 
you know, what's the cost of this cup? You know, what's the value of that cup versus, but the versus the value of your health. And um, people haven't really, up until the last maybe few years, people just haven't connected the value to their health. They would much rather, you know, put money to something else, which, you know, which they get a two minute fix from, but actually four years of issues with, you know, I, I, I'm just, I, I just thought it was really interesting that you'd said that because, you know, like people talk about poverty and riches, but sometimes looking at the people in India with the poverty, they may not have like loads of money in a bank, but actually if they're putting value on their own lives and linging that it's got more longevity and more healthy, then that's, that's the real value, isn't it? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, it might sound cliched when we talk about your health is your wealth, but you know, there's a reason that these cliches often exist because there is a real sustenance um, to that. Um, and I think people increasingly are starting to um, recognize that. And certainly now, I mean, one of my other passions and, and things I think is really important is starting to embed health as a culture within workplaces. Uh, so when you, you know when we think of our work, we often think of it as as that kind of pace of our finances. That's where we derive our our incomes for. But actually, your work is so much more than simply the place you go to to earn your money. We spend a lot of time either working or in our workplaces. It has to be the place where you embed your lifestyle. And so I think it's really really important for businesses, for corporate organisations, for you know our workplaces to also embrace health as their biggest asset. Your biggest asset is your people. Your people are your wealth. Um, and it's really important to start um, embracing that. And I think increasingly people are, but you know when you talk about workplace well-being, I think people often don't know what that actually means or could potentially mean um, for their organization. You know, at the moment, there's a lot about around about emotional health, isn't there? And mental health and mental wealth. Um, and, you know, naturally, I, you know, certainly for women, um, anxiety levels have escalated through lockdown and COVID. Depression numbers are increasing. I think for women in particular, um, it's another gender gap that's actually um, arisen. There are lots and lots of gender gaps, unfortunately, yeah. but you know, this is, this is another gender gap. The emotional issues and mental health issues um, are increasing um, in women as well. And I think, again, what have we been trying to do over lockdown? We've been juggling work because we continued to work um, and yet we've taken on new roles. We've become the person who shops for our neighbors. We've become the teacher for our children. We've become the person who cares for our parents. And so we take on all of these um, additional roles and we still need to make sure that our health however we want to define that still remains the most valuable thing that we have to keep us moving um, moving forward in our lives for sure yeah I mean that is really interesting because you're right I mean if you're a working mum you know um and you know the what it kind of showed is that you know like when people describe kind of the covid situation as a war as a working mum you're kind of on the front line aren't you because you are trying to provide in every sense of the word you know you're when when it first happened and obviously everybody's back to school now so it's different but when it first happened you were trying to do your work trying to get over the guilt of not spending enough time with your children and then making lunch for everybody, making dinner for everybody, <laughs> trying to be everything all at once. Um, but as women, we're quite resilient. We're quite strong. Um, I think there were times where obviously people were just like, this is, this is too much. Or there were other times when actually I've got this, but you know, and it's about being honest. It's about knowing when to take the break. It's not about adjusting to the climate. 
of what you're you're in isn't it but i mean what i uh, you know i think with you um you know looking at what we're you know focusing on today you know like it is about people saying what matters to them and, and what's really important in life so how do you advise people to kind of move forward because we are in another kind of it hasn't gone away it's just we, we've created a new normal around it you know people are allowed back to work but they're not really because you know it's just all a bit confusing anyway at the moment um, people have adjusted to working from home but employers that I'm speaking to are saying is that they're getting a bit more stressed mm-hmm. they're using that commuter time which they would normally just sit on the train and read a paper but they're not doing that now and then actually they're working longer hours because they nobody's around and there's I don't know is there a guilt I'm not sure what's going on there yeah it's interesting what you're saying. I think there's a lot around the language that we use. So even in just what you said, suddenly it's frontline and it's war. And actually what we create by using words like that is we create overwhelm. You know, yeah. suddenly actually your mind... That's what the, a lot of the press is saying, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, words like crisis, which are hitting our, the headlines every single day, incessantly for the last six months. What is that actually doing to our mindsets about life? It takes us to a place of automatic overwhelm, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I like to use quite a few tools, I think, with both with myself um, as well, as well as with my sort of clients um, and patients. Um, and you'll probably come to know I actually do really like acronyms. So one of the things I say to people um, is actually to stop. And I mean that quite literally um, is actually to stop because it's the one thing we don't we don't do particularly as women, I keep bringing hail women, you know, up, but actually we do have this sense of the need to keep going. Um, And so my acronym STOP is very much around what to do and how to change that sense of overwhelm. So the S is stop what you're doing. And this is in the moment when you recognize that overwhelm. And we often do, you know, we've all been there, felt on edge, the sleep starts sort of uh, shifting, you can't focus on anything, that sense of brain fog, your mood's up and down, feeling irritable. We all recognize those feelings, but the minute you do, stop in the moment, don't keep doing that, carry on, carry on. The T for stop is then take a breath. Um, And what I've come to understand is actually the power of breath work and how incredible um, it is. And if you think about it, we sort of, we enter life with one breath and we leave life with one breath and it's all the breaths in between that really, really have to hold meaning for us. And actually we can control our breath more than we allow ourselves to do. Yes, it's automatic, but actually what you do, and it's there's fascinating science and I won't go into it, but there's a part of the brain, which is sort of a breathing pacemaker. And so, uh, and what it does is it sends out links, it's called the locus cerulis, and it sends out links to all our sort of emotional centers, which is, um, which is how, how we feel and how we breathe are very, very connected. And what we know is that if you can slow down your breathing rate, to less than six breaths a minute, instead of activating your stress response, so that's sympathetic nervous system when you're on edge and, and overfired up, what you actually activate is your relaxation response to your parasympathetic nervous system. It's this nerve called the, the vagal nerve. Um, and that actually gives you calm in the moment and also in terms of your long-term health, reduces that chronic stress and inflammation and all the things that we know lead to long-term um, ill health as well. So it's incredibly powerful. So that is the T of my STOP acronym is take a breath. 
The O is observe your thoughts and your feelings and your sensations. So this is very much about, again, understanding yourself, that real curiosity um, about yourself, that sort of space for a bit of introspection. And again, we don't give ourselves time to do this. And I'm hopeful that lockdown has enabled this um, in a lot more of us, but really just observe what you're, what you're thinking and feeling. And if it is an overwhelm of negative thoughts, let it be, but at least start to recognize that this is how, how you're feeling. And then the P um, of stop is to prioritize yourself and really think about what is it that makes you feel good i think happiness is so so important that in the moment happiness is important yeah. and long-term fulfilling happiness um, is important um, as well so that is it stop <laughs> but i guess like um like you say actually with the i'm going back to the p here for a second um women do find that really difficult don't they um to prioritize themselves um how do you help people work themselves to get to a point where they are prioritizing and convincing them that actually if you do prioritize yourself you will get better results for everybody else won't you oh yeah absolutely and it goes back to that conversation about what's important to you now you know many women will cite children many women will say i want to be a role model for my children some may cite vocation careers but whatever is important for you actually to fulfill that role to be that person what is it that you need to do how are you going to be that role model for your children what is that person doing thinking how energetic is she what's she feeling like at the end of the day and if i if you can talk to the person's why again then you're much more likely to start thinking about why you having time out is important why you making sure you're getting your sleep is important why you having some time to journal before you go into bed or have some space in your day for for mindfulness or breath work or be able to take just a 10 minute walk outside is important enough for you to be able to do it so it comes keeps coming keeps coming back to life's purpose and and your why doesn't it that sense yeah. of identity is the stuff that drives us we've all got that sense of really strong self-identity haven't we yeah i think it's really good actually because there was a time when people used to talk about journaling and you know doing all of those kind of things and people were like what what is that what are you talking about you know but actually more and more people i don't know because it's the obviously the arena that i work in but more and more people i talk to now are like yeah no i i journal you know yeah no. and it's really good to hear that on a positive note though isn't it um that more people are you know, taking the initiative to actually, you know, like even the meditation, you know, just stopping the tea for breathing. Um, still not quite enough people are doing it, but it's good to hear that more people are really looking into that because I think a lot of people have been shallow breathing for so long. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so interesting. So if you think about some of these practices that you're mentioning, they've been around since ancient times. You know, meditation is not something new, but suddenly it's become en vogue out here in, in, in the Western world as such. And we've always known about it as, a, as an art form and as a you know, therapeutic form. But actually now I think what we're able to do is attach a science to it. And the minute we can attach science to things, I think for a lot of people, it gives it that credibility. Um, so even in 
the arena of journaling, I mean, there's now research paper after research paper about the benefits of it. So the minute you start to be able to evidence how beneficial something is, more people are much more likely to think, actually, there is something going on in my physiology, my biochemistry, yeah. the way that I am, that means that this is the good stuff. Because I think, unfortunately, also, there's a lot of stuff out there which doesn't have a, a basis to it. You know, standing on your head or having celery juice all day long is doesn't have enough of a, a, a grip behind it. And yet people still do these things. Yeah. The stuff that actually we can now start to talk about in a way that, again, resonates with us. I mean, for me, I love to know the science behind things. Not everybody does, but actually what is it that's going to take you into a place where 10 minutes of just sitting peacefully and quietly becomes part of your daily routine? Um, and I think journaling, as you say, um, is a really, really strong way of doing that. But habit change is really key, isn't it? It's making these yeah. things do part of your everyday just like you wake up and, and brush your teeth is is i think if something feels good and feels important enough you're going to start to do it with regularity aren't you yeah um yeah no i think that um you know in terms of um going back to trying to fit meditation into your day you know i mean you don't even have to do it that long do you you can just do it for five minutes and it will make quite a big difference yeah yeah i'm really keen on one minute interventions i have to say because everybody has one minute in their day yeah. uh, and you know i will yeah, you can't really turn that down can you <laughs> you know and there's going to be no reason you can't say i haven't got got a minute so um just a minute like i said six you just got to get your breath rate down to six breaths a minute and you do that and you're relaxed you know actually uh you don't need to have carve out space you don't need to get into your lycra to do exercise just one minute of i mean i'm sitting down right now but actually standing up is really really important this is actually a stand-up desk i know you can't see it so i spend um first two hours of my day standing up while i'm consulting um and actually just standing up for a minute for 60 seconds every 60 minutes is a really really important way to um, maximize your health so i think what the research has shown is that being sedentary has got the same risk associated with it as smoking you've got a seven percent at least a seven percent increased mortality rate um, and we spend a lot of time sitting but we yeah. especially I think now working from home so i always sort of talk about 60 seconds of standing every 60 minutes and we can all do that i've got i mean what probably can see these but right by my desk i've got you know a little set of dumbbells oh, very good <laughs> which i use again you know everyone's got 60 seconds to get in 10 reps um and this is the stuff that's important because actually you know we think about exercise and we think about i've got to go for that 45 minute jog and unless i can do that i'm not going to do anything then yeah. we can all carve movement into into our day and what does it do it's heart health it's emotional health how good do you feel even after a short burst of activity you feel great yeah and i can see your dogs in the background so you must go dog walking too yeah got that in got, got that going on um, as well um in fact we i've got two dogs now um but when we uh originally uh, initially had one and my morning routine was very much revolved um around the little puppies it'd be an early morning so i love morning routines i think it really sets the tone for the rest of your day but it would be you know open the back door dogs running about well you know what i might as well run with you so it's literally a five minute jog up and down <laughs> the deck and that was my morning done you know um and there's that power of the sun when you're out there you've got the benefit of of the light um i've got my exercise in i'd come in i'd make sure i got my first glass of water in for the day because hydration for me i can look at water on my table all day long and, and not drink it so it's really important that's the habit yeah. i 
definitely need to need to work on. I do a minute of mindfulness. I'd do three minutes of, of breathing and then I was ready to start my day. So it's those routines, which actually, if you start wrapping them around the things that you're, you're already doing, um, become much more easy to, to start to embed. Yeah, no, they do really, really help. And I think that's people, you know, like you say, you, you do need to move. People are, you know, stuck to their desk all day, much more so at home. And the thing is you are at home. So there are many other interesting things that you, you know, you don't have the excuse of, well, there's nowhere to go really, because you should, you know, there's other rooms to go to, you know, step outside, do something. You've got the freedom to kind of do that. And I think it's just trying to find the balance for most people um, really in that way, because I think people thought they were going to be going back to work and then that's kind of been stopped again, you know, like, so I think, you know, reality is I don't know whether people are going to properly go back to work till after Christmas. I think we've really got to just sort of um, hedge our bets to try and see through the rest of 2020, haven't we? Yeah. So you mentioned that word balance um, from what I heard. And, you know, we always talk about work life balance, don't we? As though it's sort of some some juggling act and, you, you know, you can't possibly have more than one one or the other. And, you know, it's a real tightrope walk. Um, but I actually prefer, I think, to talk about work life blend. as opposed Okay, that's a good way of saying it. Um, and even more so now, because actually, you know, life is intertwined. We can't really, if you think about it, compartmentalise life, work, play home rest is all super connected and if we start to think about our time at home as that blend as well rather than this is my time to work or this is my time to to my time out and i'm going to go to the gym every evening is actually start building things in into your every day and blending your day so it becomes a blend of all the things that you're actually passionate about and enjoy doing and work forms quite a big part um, of that um, which is why you know that notion of well do you know i'll sit all day at work but i'll negate it by going to the gym in the evening it doesn't work like that you can't you know you can't smoke all day and then go for a jog in the evening and then think it was okay to smoke so it's, you know, <laughs> it works it works in the same way so i much prefer thinking about kind of that work-life blend how do you actually blend together all the things that you that you want to achieve and it does take a bit of discipline, I have to say sometimes, you know, because it's very easy to almost continue working all day, especially if it's the stuff that's getting you getting you fired up. Um, and especially where the environment might be the same all day long as well. Um, so I find just structuring uh, my timetable quite useful. Um, and not everybody does, but I like some of that structure to my day. Also love space for variety and spontaneity, but I'll often make an appointment with myself. So um, <laughs> if, you, if you look on, on my phone, I've got appointments in there for myself. I've got you know an appointment to go to bed and I've got an appointment for my um, pre-bed hour because that's a really, really important time. And actually in the same way that I probably wouldn't let a patient down if they booked an appointment with me, if it's crystal in my diary, I'm not going to let myself down either. Um, and these are just some, you know, mental tips for just uh, sticking to the things that you know really, really are important for you. Welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores.
So sometimes, um, you know, people are doing that, but it's, it's difficult with the other people in their household. How do your, how do your family support all the things that you do and are they doing the same? Uh, yeah, actually. So we've had a really sort of, um, interesting, uh, spring, summer, my, uh, my older son was at university, uh, came back first year. So came back early in March. So been home for, for six months. My, uh, second son was due to do his A-levels. Of course that, uh, never happened. And so he was home for the six months. My daughter, of course, was home from school. My husband uh, couldn't work. So we, here we are, you know, whole family um, at home. What were our sort of disciplines um, and routines? And I think what we discovered was that actually as a family, there were lots of things that we could do together and create some fun around it. I think the other thing about being an adult is that sometimes we don't let ourselves play and have fun um, enough either. And actually when you're all together at home, plus with those two puppies, um, there was a real kind of element of fun in our day. You know, we were able to exercise and move together and create our own little uh, routines um, for the day as well. Um, cooking together uh, became a thing. I'm not sure how well that went down with my children, but I really enjoyed delegating the the cooking so that everyone cooked a meal every day with a buddy so we had oh, cool. in the kitchen yeah i think it was cool i'm not sure they thought it was that cool <laughs> <laughs> um so um i think it's it is that sort of discipline um of routines um isn't it and still allowing space for spontaneity i think that's really important i think did you tell me about was it your daughter who went for a run and she didn't want to listen at one point but she would put meditation or something in mindfulness yes. when she was running was that right yeah. Yeah, did we talk about that before? So um, that's absolutely right. So it was, uh, she loves running um, all the time, but it's always that sense of, you know, getting going, isn't it? You know, what you, you want to do, once you've done it, you feel great afterwards, but it's always that, that getting going. So we started talking about um, mindful running. So that running in itself didn't become something that, you know, that was boring or that you didn't enjoy. Um, and so one day off she went having, with having had me in her ear telling her how to use her five senses as she's walking, noticed the way that her, her leg was striking the ground, looking around, thinking about the smells and what she could see and tuning into her hearing. And she came back from that run super invigorating, saying, Mom, I did it. I did mindful running. I feel really, really good. And I think, you know, there's something thing around that isn't there um, yeah. just that sort of real invigoration in tuning in with what's um what's around you I think that's really important and I think you know lockdown really has heightened that for us there was that time wasn't there we could all hear the birds in the garden because actually everything else around us was so so still um I really enjoyed that actually <laughs> when we, I I was just I loved it when nothing was going on outside and I almost felt really bad for nature when Carl started going back out again because I, I think a lot of them, I remember seeing you know a lot of roadkill all of a sudden because I think they'd had the freedom to come out again and they weren't afraid and then all of a sudden we all got back in our cars and I was just like oh um and it was interesting isn't it because when Boris told us we could have that one hour I think I think the percentage of people who started running went up by about 40 percent didn't it or something 40 50 maybe even 50 uh, and people were starting to run again and um that's another way of just clearing your mind isn't it yeah, no, absolutely. There's you know big endorphin rush, cortisol levels drop. That your emotional well-being is definitely um, heightened um, after running for sure. And you know, again, you don't have to set yourself huge goals, but what I think you do have to do is celebrate when you actually 
do run or when you do do something that that little bit extra no matter how much how much it is i think exercise for a lot of people is also difficult as well and i think it's because again we set ourselves targets that we that are hard to achieve and i always start from the point of well just step out of your door and that's it you're done for the day and you know, pat yourself on the back for doing that great you know that's a punch the air and then you layer it and you build it and you walk to the lamppost and then you walk to the next one and then actually you go around the shops and come back and actually what you've done is you've layered and layered and layered without even realizing that you're, you're pushing yourself because it's that that small i remember when i was running on on the treadmill you know i'd always only edge up by 0.1 of a kilometer every time i got on it was almost a way of tricking my brain into not even recognizing that i'd gone up and you know what within sort of 20 days there i was having you know run that extra extra distance um but had i gone from you know a 5k run to a 7k run just like that i wouldn't have wanted to do that again so it yeah. is layering your habits it does uh, it does make a big difference and also i think that whole kind of celebrating what you're doing and really kind of marinating in the stuff that you've you've done that day we often don't you know we'll go to bed thinking about what went wrong, what I didn't do, what I should have done. And that, you know, I had a conversation with someone about that this morning. Um, instead of actually marinating on the good stuff, the you know, person you waved at as they, as they crossed the road, that feeling of that warm coffee in, in your hand, you know, the good night peck from your, from your daughter before she went to sleep. It's all that stuff that we don't immerse ourselves in enough. So Yeah, and it's that kind of gratitude, isn't it, for everything that kind of went on in your life that day you know all the good things and kind of trying to remember that which is you know it passes a lot of people by doesn't it but actually that is what's going to enhance you to a good mood enhance you just to feel good about the day it just changes your whole perspective doesn't it yeah yeah and well, there's a lot of talk isn't there about gratitude journaling um i can tell you like journaling and writing down those three good things of the day um but the other way of journaling that i talk to my uh, my patients and clients about is intention journaling and i think that's because for me it feels really important to set that tone for the day and really living an intentional life not letting life drift by you but really being that that player you know being on on the stage of your life not being in the audience so um i talk about my three eyes so yeah i like my acronyms and i love my alliteration <laughs> well so i talk about ignition importance and immersion um, as well so that ignition is very much about that start of your day what's getting you going you know the minute your feet come out from that warm duvet and hit the ground what is it that you're feeling that readiness for and it's that sort of start of uh, start of the day and i do that i set my intention sort of you know as soon as i open my eyes it's that real sense of what do i intend for myself um for today how do i intend to feel is usually kind of where where i start and therefore what do i need to do to be able to feel that and it's less about what i do for myself and often it's about what you're doing for others um, as well so that's the first eye the second eye is importance and i keep coming back to that you know chuck the rule book away sometimes we all live in the sort of societal rules don't we and i know they feel sort of superimposed at the moment and there's some rule books that we do have to live by but actually there's many that we don't so what is it that 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 core of you that feels really important and the third eye is immersion so exactly what i've been saying really really marinate in what it is that you want to infuse your day with and get those intentions bring them alive um, in in how you kind of plan out your day yeah no absolutely that's really good advice um, for everybody listening um, so you you live this what you're saying you you live and breathe this you you know you have a holistic life was it always that way or 
was it that moment when you kind of left your job um, that you became much more holistic and much more mindful to everything? And is it is it sometimes it, does it take something to happen for for you? It doesn't have to be that way, though, does it? You know, it doesn't have to take something to happen for you to start living holistically, does it? No, and I think I think it certainly doesn't. I think for many people, there's often that that moment, that moment of kairos, isn't there? Where there is, you know, sometimes it's the straw that broke the camel's back, but it's never about that one straw. There's always lots and lots of sort of telltale signs in the run up to um, run up to change. Um, had I always lived holistically? Um, good question. I'm going to say that with an honest no. I think. I think I'd always been, you know, that yes person saying yes to everything, setting the, the highest of standards, be the best mom, be the best doctor, be the best spouse, you know, really go, go, go. And, and that does take you away from actually living in that kind of 360 of, of yourself. And I think, uh, I think recognizing that was really important for me. And yeah, my big change came when I had that bravado to step into something, uh, something different. But I'm recognizing that for a lot of people, it isn't, as you say, waiting for that, that something to go wrong. It's recognizing that right now it's in your gift to make things go right um, for you um, as well. And what is holistic living, um, really? You know, that's probably another conversation for another day. Yeah. I mean, it's good living, isn't it? It's looking yeah. after yourself. Yeah. And I think, I think that it's feeling good. I think, you know, that whole feel good has to come, um, come into that as well, doesn't it? And a little bit about prioritizing you as well, which we already touched on, is not easy um, for all of us. But, you know, um, it's one life. And we got to yeah. do it. Yeah. But like you say, I mean, I think that's the thing. Lots of people are now just kind of finding, you know, you know, they're changing from that yes person, um, the one who does it all the time. And I, you know, I used to be that person also. Um, but I, and it takes a while to transition, but that's the practice of it, isn't it? Um, and then once you have kind of got over that, you, you just, you're slightly more, I don't like, you know, I use all the words at the moment, but the, you're more authentic. You are more yourself, aren't you? Yeah. And I think there's a whole amount of um, serendipity to some of that um, as well. So I don't know if you've found this, but the moment you really start to resonate and living life in that authentic way, that way that really feels right for you, you sort of open yourself up to almost attracting that um, as well. And people come to you, ideas come to you, opportunities arrive that actually if you had that closed sense of living and didn't have that open 360 kind of holistic sense, um, you wouldn't even see those opportunities. So I think there is a lot of, you know, a bit about that attraction, but openness to what life offers you. And again, back to sort of noticing you sort of have that increased awareness of yourself is um, really important. I love that sense of curiosity. I think if we're all more curious about ourselves, we would really start to ignite in us the things that really do matter. Yeah. And also, so I'm going back a few steps here now, but in terms of root causes um you know a lot of people have emotional root causes you know going way back to childhood and actually if we don't deal with some of those things they they can actually make us maybe poorly later in life can't they um so it is it's really important isn't it that people also you know address anything that keeps popping up for them Mm -hmm. I think there's two ways of looking at that cat. So sometimes the stuff that's happened holds us in the past. Yeah. And actually where life needs to be lived is right now because it's now that then determines the future. 
So um, if you find yourself holding on to the past and it's not serving a useful purpose, it's not taking you in the direction that you want to go, then it's you know figuring out ways to let that go. But sometimes understanding childhood, understanding events really puts you in a in a more positive, powerful place to be able to move forward. So it's a sort of bit of a bit of a mixed bag. I think you have to recognize when you're holding on to something that actually isn't fueling you, and when you're holding on to something that's actually giving you that sense of knowledge and understanding that does propel you um, forward um, as well. So uh, there's two ways of looking at that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. No, I sorry, I bring that up just because I uh, looking at like root causes around. We're looking at it in fitness. We're looking at it in the way that we eat. Um, but we also to get to the kind of mind space, we have to sort of let go of things, don't we? Um, which I think is really important for people. Yep, yep, yep. Am I allowed to bring in one more alliteration then? Yes. <laughs> it's the three N's. <laughs> so it's noticing, naming and neutralizing. Um, so again, it's noticing. So noticing what you're thinking about events that might have happened is all sort of, you know, negative thought. What is it that you're, you're thinking? Is it stuff that's holding you back or is it propelling you forward? And um, that's a technique of naming your thoughts, because often what happens is we get attached very much to our thinking. Now, what we know is that our thoughts become our actions. Again, you know, if you scan people's brains and do MRIs of people who are making positive affirmations, and again, sort of do uh, think that practice of affirmation is really, really powerful. I am energetic, I am healthy, I am strong, I am capable, actually starts to shape the way that you take action as well. And uh, when you check, sort of look at sort of MRIs of, of people who are making positive affirmations, they light up in those behavioral activation um, centers. So it's really, really um, powerful. Um, Gosh, that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, um, completely. Um, but what happens is we get hooked into our thoughts and we become the thought. So the thought of, you know, um, I am hopeless. Well, you act out being that hopeless person. But actually, if you start to distance yourself and you name that thought as something that you're noticing, so I notice that I'm thinking that I'm hopeless, it doesn't actually mean that you are hopeless or that you are guilty or that you are ashamed or angry. It's, it's a thought. You then get to choose what you do with it. Um, and then the third end is about neutralizing it because again it's very easy to go into sort of anticipatory land all those you know before you know it things have happened in the future and you're not even there we, pre we predict things that are not actually uh, they're all just in you know it's our imagination and our, and our minds and where we think we're going and most of the time we don't even end up there but you'll get caught up in this world and so what you want to do is neutralize your thoughts and come right back to now um, and I find using your five senses um, really really useful for that so just coming back to thinking about five things you can see, four things that you can hear, three things that you can taste, two things that you can smell, one thing that you can touch, you know, whatever order you want to do that just brings you back into now and then allows you to do the things that actually are important, what matters to you, what's part of your identity. Um, so I use that sort of um, quite a lot as well, as that emotional wellness. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good advice. I think people... Um, for some people that will help them just put it into the right order and be able to kind of because sometimes i think people can kind of drown in it can't they um but what that does it just gives you a bit more clarity um and i think that's that's super helpful so who going back to you because obviously part of this podcast is getting to know you as well who has been your biggest influence in your own life 
Oh, wow. Um, I guess I always go back to, to parents, um, really. Um, my, my dad was quite philosophical, um, real man of principle, real giver to others. And there was a phrase he always said to me, which I keep on uh, coming back to. Um, and what he kept saying was that you're born alone, which is true. And you die alone, which is also true. So make sure what happens in the middle matters. And I think that's really, you know, stuck with me. So that in terms of kind of inspiring me to, to do what matters in the middle, which is where our lives are lived, um, is really um, important. Um, sadly, he did sort of pass away um, far too early. And my mum as well, you know, she's, uh, she's got great structure to her day, some great daily um, routines, got a real kind of strength and resilience to her life that I really do um, admire as well. So yeah, I have to say um, parents have been my, my influence for sure. Yeah, no, that's, that is really, really lovely. Um, and in terms of your children, do you think they're also your greatest teachers? oh always 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 um i think it's again you know i like to i kind of have this beach ball analogy which keeps popping up all the time is that we often see life from our zone of the beach ball you know i'm in the red zone and everything i see is through through my eyes and you may see things as yellow because your world is looking yellow but we've all got to get to the the beach ball and realize there's a whole array of color that we hadn't even recognized and i think that's what certainly my children teach me is perspective is that actually you know seeing things through their eyes through their views through their colors um actually gives me a real kind of you know much more wonderful rainbow of colors to look at life through yeah. yeah no that's and i think you know i think more than ever at the moment um i do think younger people this is this is quite a tough situation on them actually isn't it i mean you've you were saying you have a um a child who's at university um and so do other people listening to this at the moment that's quite tricky for them and do you have any advice for you know for parents worrying about that uh, yeah, so two of my boys have, have gone off uh, off to university and uh, like probably most of the listeners, you know, of course there's that element of worry um, and concern. But I think what I'm desperate for my boys to have is is their youth. You know, this is their time of discovery and again, curiosity and all those social skills that actually come from that connection with, with people. And I think we have to really sort of temper again, what is, what's important. And of course that the, there's the importance of the distancing and the face and the space and, and everything that we're, that we're hearing about. But I think we also have to make sure that our children have got the opportunity to engage in ways that help them with their, with their growth. Um, so I think in terms of kind of the, the health concerns for, for mums whose, whose children are also at university, I think, you know, just keep that real. Sometimes uh, we're overwhelmed with media, you know, at the moment it's this campus is shut down and that campus is shut down and, and we are overwhelmed. So I think we just need to keep that kind of perspective, keep talking to our children. We've got the luxury, haven't we, of FaceTime and video chat, um, etc. cetera, um, and actually really kind of trust them. They're building friendships. They will look after each other um, yeah. as well, don't they? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting and it's really good for people to hear that from you as well, you know. Um, but you've already told us about a few things that you do, but what what is, you know, the day in the life of Dr. Alka Patel? Oh my goodness, really? You actually really want to know that. So um, 
a day in I want to know what you eat for breakfast too. <laughs> a day in my life starts uh, starts early. It starts at four thirty um, in the morning. That's um, crazy early. I mean, I'm up about five thirty six, and I thought that was early. So, um, but I love it. it. You know, it's the time when the rest of the world is uh, actually sleeping, or, or most people are. Um, so I do love that. So it starts very early. Um, as I said, I kind of, you know, do lie in bed just for a couple of minutes, cry uh, open my eyes, think about those intentions for the day. She do a little bit of uh, stretching um, before I get up um, as my feet sort of hit the ground, which is um, always really nice. Then there's those sort of, you know, morning, uh, morning routines. Um, come downstairs, it's a glass of warm water, which I think is a really nice start for my, uh, for my day, just that kind of um, refreshment. Um, and uh, I used to set the table for breakfast for all of us and uh, put out those antioxidants for the day. So we all had bowls of berries and we all had our nuts and seeds all sort of uh, lined up. So whoever came down at whatever time in the morning, it was, uh, it was all there. Um, I spend a few minutes uh, just kind of getting that relaxation response um, triggered so just a couple of minutes of, of breathing um, and resonating with that um, and then I come up uh, to this space which is where I uh, consult from as I said standing up uh, desk um, and one of the first things I do in the room because I think environment is so important is um, I've always loved aromas and surrounding myself um, with aromas when I was in a face-to-face -face GP practice I'd always have a candle lit and patients would walk in and really kind of have that sense of calm around so I always put on a, a diffuser um, with you know a, a lovely aroma um, that's quite uplifting um, for the day as well. Um, What's your favourite smell at the moment? Lemon. Oh, nice! As it's actually kind of quite uh, quite vibrant, um, actually. So it's a really nice uh, nice way to start uh, start the day, really. And then the day, like most people's, you know, working is relatively structured. I try and do take regular breaks. As I said, I you know timetable um, times in for me um, within that. Whether it's to breathe, to walk, to nip out um, with the dogs, um, all those uh, day to day things. Um, I've also set myself a pre bed alarm so that hour before bedtime is you know time for me. To, to read, to journal, um, to do those sorts of things that I think are really important. And then you might think this is a bizarre, but I do set a, an alarm to go to bed because I when you go to bed. <laughs> well, the aim is to get the seven to eight hours. Eight is that sort of magic number. So if I'm going waking up at four thirty, you know, you you count backwards. Um, <laughs> that's that's probably the bigger challenge um, is actually making sure that I get that sort of seven to eight hours. But I think the more you know about the importance, uh, the more readiness that there is to sort of do that. And don't forget, I've been awake for a long time. Uh, <laughs> nine or nine thirty comes around, uh, so I'm ready. So um, so yeah, that's pretty much a kind of you know um, a routine day I think the important thing that's different for me to how it was five years ago is very much about time out to have some space for myself in my everyday not just something for the weekend or something to do um, in the evenings it's really just impregnating that space um, into my day um, which allows and I, I have to say you know people who are listening they obviously can't see you but you you live what you say and it really shows you look you know you, you're beaming your skin looks amazing your hair everything just looks I mean you know for me if I was somebody who wants to come and see you I personally on recommendation would say you know this lady lives what she says she does what she says on the tin 
and it's working and you have been to that place where you needed to do something and you've done something and you've stuck to it, it the, the practice has become the habit yeah. and it looks absolutely you look amazing have to say <laughs> so kind Kat. i can't actually believe you've got children at university <laughs> <laughs> oh yes for sure yeah oh thank you for that that compliment's going to keep me going for the no you look like and it was up at 4 30 i feel fantastic and i'm like when are you going to get tired when are you going to drop here <laughs> You know what it comes from, and I know I keep coming back to this, but it is about passion and purpose. That's what it comes down for. If you are living your day in the direction that you want to live it, uh, you're going to feel all, all of this. It's when we get pulled away from that, that life starts to feel that toughness, doesn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. And do you see other people to help you with your living? You know, do you have any, you know, do you go to any other coaches? Is that, is that, any, is that something you've ever done? I, I don't actually, um, but interesting you say that because I really strongly believe that just as everybody has a doctor in their lives or everyone's got a GP, everyone should have a coach. You know, that element of motivation, that element of accountability, responsibility, your critical friend, your personal cheerleader is so important for us to have all of that. So we can translate all this knowledge. It's all sitting in our back pockets now. We've all got access to exactly the same information. But actually having a coach helps you translate everything that you know into the things that you actually do want to want to do. So uh, yeah, my own motivator at the moment, but uh, I might think about that. <laughs> um, I personally, we've known you on the Wildlife Tribe for a while now. We've, we've watched you work. You have a fantastic podcast. You've got a fantastic YouTube channel. Um, you know, you, you, people come to you and I can see why they come to you because I, you know, I can see that the energy that people will get from you is it's just that that's the energy people need to kind of especially for this time um where can people find you they can find me probably the easiest access is through my website that's going to be the easiest way to to get hold of me so that's uh um i'm out there on all the social media channels as well linkedin instagram facebook twitter um all of that um as well really just wanting to get lifestyle messages and health messages out there so that's um at dr alka patel UK. I love this podcast because it's a, your podcast. This one, the Wildlife Tribe, is great because it's just such a lovely place to to chat um, and share. But people can come to my podcast as well, Lifestyle First. I'd love to get people engaged there as well and keep these conversations alive. And that's all about different tips, isn't it? About what people can do to look after themselves. As is your YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's all sort of self care advice. Again, you know, eighty percent of our lives are within our own hands and our own control and it's through our own um self-care so uh, that's what the kind of podcast is is focusing on no it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you um i'm just gonna leave with a couple of other questions before we go you know like um so we asked you you know what what is your best tip for making the world a better place oh goodness that's a really deep question isn't it it's got to be around happiness i think it's echoing back to what aristotle said he said didn't he happiness is the meaning and purpose of life the whole aim and end of human existence so i think that's something that we can all uh, really kind of think about and happiness doesn't come necessarily from being happy for yourself it's actually translating that to caring about others um, as well so it's a really great way to pave the way forward 
Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast show today. Um, we, I love talking to you anyway. Um, and I have to say to the audience, do you find Alka on social media because all of her posts, everything that she writes is so interesting. It's so helpful. And, you know, even from that point, if you, if, even if you just stop following Alka initially, you'll get the sense of what it, what it is that she's about. And then I would then suggest that you just, they can ask you questions if they want to, to kind of, you know, talk to you about anything. You're very easy to, you know, talk to. So I think people should definitely come along. And, and if you're feeling overwhelmed, this is the person that you probably need to go and talk to. Oh, that's lovely. I'm delighted to be able to carry on the conversation, pick up the phone, speak to me, book a call, not a problem at all. And that's the idea is, you know, you talked about sort of everyone having their own tin. Everyone's tin has got a different label on it. So definitely, you know, up for conversations with individuals about, you know, about what's important for you and what, what's resonating with you. Great. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on today. And we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Thank you, Kat. Loved it. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.